Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim G.K. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today, we're going to talk about our topic is free speech at Western Michigan University in French. Our special guest today is Theodore Schobot. He's going to be our speaker today. If you'd like to chime in the conversation, we invite you to go in the chat room. You can post your question there, or you can call in at 347-324-3460. Theodore, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, sir. I guess to begin with, kind of tell us about yourself. Our listeners like to hear personal stories bios about the person. So kind of tell us about yourself, and then we just go straight into the topic. Well, um, my father was a, uh, his name is Walid Shubat. He was a, uh, in fact, he was a, a mem- actually a member of the PLO, which is Palestinian Authority. He was a member of a terrorist group, and uh, he was then, he left, left the PLO and moved to the, he left the PLO actually when he moved to the United States, for a little bit in Chicago, Southside Chicago, and he joined the Muslim Brotherhood. And he was part of the Muslim Brotherhood for a number of years. And in 1993, he saw the light and converted to Christianity. And uh, from then on, he had, from 1994 1995, he began to speak out against Islamic fundamentalism and to actually forewarn Americans about. Uh, the coming danger of or coming threat of Islamic fundamentalism. In fact, um, he was warning people about uh, terrorist attacks before 9/11 even happened. And in 2005, 2000, in 2004, 2003, he was doing such. Also, before uh, before 9/11, he was telling people they're going to blow up your buildings, they're going to blow up your 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 buses, they're going to blow up your streets. People began to laugh at him, and once 9-11 happened, people were calling him up. A lot of people were calling him up, asking him questions. Um, and so when I was uh, when I was about maybe 12, uh, 11 or 12 years old, I began to do debating. And I began to fall in love with debate. And um, I've been doing it ever since. And also I've been doing a lot of reading and research, doing it ever since. And so that's uh, that's pretty much my story. Wow. Kind of take us back for a moment. Uh, kind of tell the audience uh, about the uh, the Islamic religion itself. Um, some people know about it, some people don't. So, kind of, if you know about it, if you don't mind sharing this, uh, try to get uh, uh, kind of give us an objective picture on what's the mindset. Um, I know a lot of uh, Muslims are real devoted, uh, mm-hmm. but what? All of a sudden, this fundamentalism that really hate America, and as you, that's not the teaching of Islam. So, if you kind of can take us back and and tell us about the religion itself, and if you know anything about what happened in the course of these years, uh, 
that really turned uh, a certain part of that culture against uh, people in America, and they usually is always talk about love. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, it's very difficult to describe the nature of the Islamic religion without talking about spirituality. Uh, sure. It's difficult to it, yeah, it's difficult to explain it with a with a secular uh, point of view. But to give you the, uh, the 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 quickest and best answer, really, um, uh, the Islamic religion began with Muhammad, you know, in the early you know you know six hundreds and all that. Um, but it really Islam is a religion that believes in a a universal empire. It is something called the Ummah in the Islamic religion. The Ummah is literally means the universal Arabic community. And in order to basically what that is is uh everybody speaking the same language, Arabic, worshiping the same God, Allah, and finding and following the same code of of law, Sharia. And Sharia means the way. Well the way of what? The way of Islam. And if you look at the hadith, if you look at the Sunnah, what we find is that uh the Muslims uh, within the Islamic uh faith, it is said that one day the Mahdi will come. The Mahdi is the Islamic Messiah. He will come and he will establish the Ummah. And he will establish like the kingdom of heaven. And forever people will begin to now follow Sharia. Everybody will will, will uh speak the same language, like a Tower of Babel, if you will. Sure. So in, but in, but in order to, to establish this, uh the Mahdi to come, the Muslims have to wait. Eventually they believe that this figure will one day rise up and he will establish this collectivist society that is the uh the end times to, uh, belief of the of islam uh, just the, the the normal the uh, not the normal but the regular belief of islam um is this idea that um you you follow the fi- the five ways of islam which is prayer charity uh going to hajj uh, 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 uh Praying five times a day, doing Ramadan, uh, and people say, "Well, it all sounds really great." Well, in Islam, those five pillars actually get prevailed over when someone does jihad, when someone actually goes out, goes out and fights. So the person who prays five times a day, does Ramadan, went to Hajj, actually um, is may not even go to heaven. See, salvation in Islam is not guaranteed. In Christianity, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Salvation is guaranteed. Whereas in Islam, your salvation is not guaranteed. So they say, well, the, the most guaranteed way to get into heaven is if you die while fighting. And in the uh, the Hadith, it says that just a drop of the uh, the martyr's blood on the earth will become a sweet odor to the to Allah, and he will not uh, he will not uh, taste hell. And salvation, he will taste heaven. He will have complete salvation. Not only that, he becomes a Messiah figure to to seventy of his relatives. So seventy of his relatives may actually go to heaven and have guaranteed salvation because of the sacrifice of, of one man's martyrdom. So it's actually you are killing yourself, destroying yourself for your own salvation. And the contrast between that and Christianity is Christianity. God comes down literally in the flesh to die for you. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
that, that's, that's something else. Um, from that, is there is there an acceptance that there are different other cultures in the world that might not be, believe what you believe? I mean, in in you're talking about Christianity. Well, in Christianity, well, with the the Islamic uh, tradition, um, I mean, we, it's a big world, and we have different cultures throughout mm-hmm. the uh, the world. Um, yeah. Some modern, some third world. They're not necessarily buying into uh, what that particular region believes. Isn't that yeah. an acceptance that that hey, you can't really convert. Now you can't go and try to minister to them, but it's going to take a generation to get that done. But uh, have they ever thought of, you know, some countries, yeah, they have gone in and evangelized, but do they automatically, once the culture is already set, I mean, to really change them, you have a, you know, you're talking about a generation yeah. to change. So do they ever yeah. kind of accept, if that's if making sense, do they uh, try that type of option to go in and evangelize? And yeah, they also have something called that. Yeah. Well, they have something called Dawa which is uh, just mm-hmm. missionary. That is the idea of preaching the Islamic uh, the Islamic word. You know, you're missionarying the, the, the uh, Islam. Yeah, called Dawah. Um, mm-hmm. But if you look at the uh, the main, the, the, really the main way that Islam spread into the world, it was really by the sword. If you look at, I mean, the, the, the fact that the Muslims had the ability to conquer Spain in 711 AD for, and occupied Spain for over 800 years, they were very powerful at one point in time. And also, uh, in fact, actually, my ancestors, well, they come from the Shoibat clan, clan. They were actually originally Yemenites from in Yemen, and they were actually Jews mm-hmm. at one point in time. And then they became Muslim by the sword, you see. And then it's not until just now we converted to, you know, re- recently become Christians, but most people in my family are Muslim. But at one point in time, they used to be Jews. The Shoebat clan. Shoebat is not an Arab name; it's a Jewish name. And they all used to be, and and and, and now they're all Muslim because of the sword, because of the enforcement that Muhammad was implementing. Because also another good historical event, a significant historical event in Islamic history, um, is the actually the uh, when Muhammad became a prophet. He, what he did was he uh, he went to uh, Medina conquers Medina, and then he conquers the Meccans. Well, one of the first things he does when he takes power, full control of the uh, of, of Arabia, is he massacres uh, the Bendu Qaraida tribe, which was one of the largest tribes of the Jewish tribes in Arabia at that time. He massacres it, holocausts it. And that destroys the majority of the Jews in Arabia. So there was a huge full-on attack on the Jews done by Muhammad himself. Wipe them out off the country. So when you when people ask, well, what's the original, what's the origin of Jewish hatred in Islam? Well, that's part of it, right there. It comes from this, the Prophet himself. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's uh, yeah, that's yeah. Go on. No, no, no I was just listening. Uh, so from okay. there, um, from the history, and we bring it up to a modern date. Um, what has caused them to, uh, to at uh, one sense be so extreme on another sense? They hey, you have this mainstream of uh, Muslims, 
and then you have an extremist going really, really left field and would do what it takes uh, to uh, to make them to go not really believe on their side, but it's, it's going to an extreme in one sense, if that makes sense. And how did from that extreme uh, is directed to America? Mm-hmm. You're, ask, you're asking for the uh, what causes them to hate America? Yeah, and in which sense, correctly? what? Okay. Yeah. Well, the uh, Islamic hatred for America goes back quite a long time. Uh, if, you, if you go back even as far as the 18th century, the 18th century had the saw the uh, the the two Barbary pirate wars, in which you had Berber pirates, uh, you had Libyan, you had uh, Moroccan, you had Tunisian uh, pirates that were uh, that were taking American ships, merchant ships. This is before the birth of the U.S. Navy, and so what the Americans did is they began to put these big cannons on the ship. This is what about the 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 birth of American Navy, and um, you had the two Barbary Pirate Wars, and in fact, there was a story that uh, Jefferson and Adams uh, went to the ambassador of uh, Tunisia, I believe it was, and he they they, uh, they both asked them, "Why are you doing this? Why do you attack Americans?" And the ambassador said, "Because it is commanded it is commanded to us in the Quran to kill all the non-believers until they believe in the Quran." And so the uh, it, um, people people say, well, it's our foreign policy, it's our uh, you know our rule, it's Iraq, it's Afghanistan. Well, no, if, if even if America never went to Iraq, never occupied Afghanistan, never went to Somalia, never did any of these things, never you know never uh, uh, got involved with Albania and uh, 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 Serbia and all these other countries. Uh, say, well, you know, uh, they would not be so mad at us. Well, it's not true. What caused the hatred of American merchant ships in the 18th century? In fact, um, I would argue, you know, that the same thing could be said about England and other Western countries. Before the Barbary Pirate Wars, the uh, Berbers uh, destroyed uh, over 100 uh, British naval ships. They destroyed about about 50,000 French ships, French and Spanish ships. It's a lot of boats. And Europe was not getting involved in the Middle East at that time. So no matter what you do, you're going to have these people. Americans are going to have to accept the fact that there are people out there who are going to hate us for not anything that we've done, but just for who we are. And who, and, and the reason why they hate us is not because we're, you know, we have technology. You know, I've heard that argument before. I don't buy it. Um, the reason why they hate us is because we are a at least we're perceived as a Christian country. We are believed to be crusaders. That is why Osama bin Laden, in some of his videos, when you watch them, he doesn't really, he doesn't always just call us Americans. He refers to us as crusaders, because the Muslims have not forgotten what happened in the Crusade, in which you had uh, the uh, the Muslims occupying Jerusalem, the Christians coming, taking Jerusalem from them. And then Salah Hadin coming and kicking the Crusaders out and taking Jerusalem for himself. And then b- before that, you had the beginning of the Crusades in the 1000s, the beginning of the 1000s, which you had Pope Urban II um, say that the Muslims are massacring the Christians uh, in the Middle East, in Israel, 
and we need to go and help our fellow brethren. That's exactly what happened. You had the Christians literally being massacred by the Muslim occupiers of Jerusalem, by the pilgrims of Jerusalem, and the Crusades came to assist them, to help their fellow Christian. And so, uh, uh, since ever, ever since then, uh, Muslims have always have never forgotten the Crusades. Wow. So you know, yeah, people don't understand the Middle East. People in the Middle East they don't think in terms of days, weeks, months, and years. They think of terms and centuries, and decades. So they, to us, you know, nine eleven is always a recent thing. Well, to them, you know, a decade ago is a recent thing. You see, that's the mindset that people wow. don't people don't ever grasp. Wow, that's that's powerful. We're going to take a break, and we're going to be back in a moment and talk a little bit more uh, about uh move towards the um, uh, free speech at Western uh, uh, Michigan University. We'll be back in a moment with the Core Business Show. Thank you, Theodore. Hold on. You're listening to the Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours, and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists. Or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to The Core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. Uh, everybody, welcome back. Again, free speech at Western University. I guess let's move towards the uh, free speech at Western Michigan University in France. Kind of tell us the story behind that. You know, honestly, um, uh, I, honestly, I really uh, was not expecting this interview to happen. I don't even, I don't, I don't really know the subject to be honest with you. Oh, okay. If no, you enlighten if you enlighten me, I mean, if you tell me, I I, I would I would be glad to commentate on it. Uh, if not, we just go back to towards what we were talking about before, and, right. uh, and then we can go. Uh, I can always go back and reschedule this one. Uh, kind of bring us back as they think about centuries. Um, I know at the top of the hour you did talk about the way that there were two perspectives. On the way they think, and uh, you talk about the spirituality of the view. Can mm -hmm. you go a little bit more in depth about the spirituality? We have time, so uh, kind of give us like two. You're giving us one, but if you can go a little bit more in depth, we just wanted to kind of get an idea of the thinking. And is there a chance ever uh, to get something resolved, or we're we just going to go towards? Centuries on centuries, and fighting. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Well, the uh, the Muslim world, like I said, they think of, they think of centuries and th things of that nature. Um, but the but the uh, I think that one day the fighting will end. But 
it won't end until Kingdom Come. Because the American, for, for example, as of right now, the Western powers are, for the most part, um, not willing to really realize or undertake the true situation of what's going on. They continue to make friends with the Muslim world. They continue to praise the Muslim Brotherhood. They continue to do all kinds of things that you're not supposed to do. Things which actually empower the uh, the hearts and souls of the Muslim Brotherhood today. And when I say Muslim Brotherhood, I mean not just the organization itself, but all the small groups that are uh, actually offshoots of it. And so, in fact, it never really ends. Um, it never ends. And as long as you make friends with them, it's never going to end. As long as people re- forget to, as long as people don't identify at all, the uh, the, that the that the problem is not just some economic issue. The problem is a religion, which is Islam. You never the the war is never going to end. Wow. So I th- I think that if you if you look at if you read the scriptures, you read the scriptures, you read the the Old and New Testament, you read Ezekiel chapter thirty, twenty eight, twenty seven, twenty six, twenty five, Isaiah, Isaiah thirty nine, even going on before that, Jeremiah thirty nine. If you look at these these prophets, they all talked about how the Messiah, the Holy One, is going to come down, and he's going to destroy countries such as Edom and Moab and Egypt and Elam. Example is uh, in Ezekiel talks about the destruction of Elam and how Christ or the Messiah will come down and break the bow of Elam, which is today Persia. Um, he will destroy uh, uh, countries such as Somalia, which is in the Bible called it Cush. But Kush, we identify that with today with Somalia, which is today a Muslim country. And all these, all of these, and 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 also it, uh, it, prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, they actually identify this evil one as Satan himself. You were in the Garden of Eden. You are wiser than Daniel. I will throw you into the pit. And the same devil, the same Satan, is actually referred to as the rulers of Egypt, the ruler of Elam, the ruler of Arabia. It's all talking about this one single person who rules over all of these countries. And it's very evident uh, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, in which the, the Antichrist is actually compared to a tree who rules over many nations. And all these nations are referred to. Arabia, mm-hmm. Somalia, um, Egypt, North Africa, Arabia, Iran, um, Syria today. All these countries today are Muslim countries. So you're seeing all these revolutions take place. Egypt is already Islamist. Libya and Tunisia are on their way pretty soon. What's going to happen is you're going to have all of these countries that are becoming Islamist, and when these countries become Islamist, they're not they're no longer going to care about their Islamic or their sorry their national identity. So Egyptians are no longer Egyptians. Tunisians are no longer Tunisians. In fact, after the Tunisians did their revolution. The Tunisians were talking about getting rid of their national flag and replacing it with the green flag of Islam. And the reason why is because they don't want to be no longer uh, nationalists. They want to be collectivists. So no longer are they Egyptians, Tunisians, Libyans, etc., etc., Persians or Arabs. They are now Muslims. We are now members and citizens of the universal Islamic community. And they are going to want somebody to lead that universal Islamic community. Well, who's going to lead it? Well, eventually someone's going to rise up and say, I will lead the Ummah. I will lead the Ummah into becoming a world superpower. And once you see that, then you will see the rise of an Islamic empire. In fact, after the U.S. troops leave Iraq, which will happen eventually, sooner or later it's going to have to happen, the Mm -hmm. Iraqis 
will allow Iran to conquer them. Because in the Shiite prophecy, in fact, there's a prophecy that says Babylon must conquer Persia before the Mahdi comes, before the Islamic Messiah comes. And so the um, once you have American presence gone, then Iran will talk about conquering Babylon, Iraq. Because it's part of the prophecy. The Iraqis are Shiites, just like the Iranians, and they will say, well, we'll allow the Iraqis to come right in. And they will allow the, the Iranians to subjugate them. And they'll become one superpower. Um, and that is really, uh, it, it's one of the signs, really, of the of this coming empire. So, uh, to say, or, or, you know, is, is there one day going to be peace? No, I don't think so. I think there's going to be phases of fake peace. Is the fighting going to end? Yes, but not by our own hands. I believe it's going to take something much more powerful and sublime than our own uh, current administration. Wow, so... Even with all this is said, uh, said and done, and you start mm-hmm. thinking about, uh, well, let, let's take a step. So usually when you have uh, another generation come after them, or mm-hmm. the culture is just so embedded in them that they won't ever westernize, if that makes sense. Because usually mm-hmm. you have a generation will hold on to the traditions of the past. However, mm-hmm. as their uh, children become more and more westernized, they really don't care about tradition anymore. Is there a risk of that? Or you just really just embed it and they're restricting what's coming into the country, then their kids will never be westernized, so they yeah. once they become westernized, they really don't care. Well, there's a huge anymore. risk of that. Yeah. Well, there's a, rig- there's a huge risk of that happening in the western countries. You see that in the United States. You see that in England in which you have parents who come from the Middle East and then the generation after them or the generation after that generation comes out not caring about Islam. Yeah, definitely. That, of course, happens. I see it. I've seen it plenty of times. Uh, be myself being a Middle Eastern uh, uh, man in the, in, in, uh, in the Western world. Yeah, of course I see that. Um, but if you're talking about countries like Iran... Um, now Iran is, a, is an interesting place because they will because people will say well the, you know the youth and there's a youth in Iran and they don't care about that kind of stuff and it doesn't really matter to be honest with you in fact if you look at the uh, the elections that were uh, squashed squashed really by Ahmadinejad and his ayatollahs a number of years ago if you remember correctly um, mm-hmm. they were saying that it didn't matter you had Ahmadinejad who wanted to become president and then you had the other the other his, his opponent. Who was also running, and Ahmadinejad he played with the do- the the votes he did he he did he put riot control and he basically didn't allow the vote the uh, the process of democracy to take its place. Well, it doesn't really matter if even if you had the other guy take power, he's still going to be an Islamist no matter what you do. In fact, in the Islamic world, there are only two different types of governments you can have. You can either have it is and it doesn't matter what 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 they are, if they're westernized, it doesn't matter. There could be either uh, Arab nationalists or they could be Islamic fundamentalists. In Egypt, you had Mubarak. Mubarak was Arab nationalist. Gaddafi was Arab nationalist. Saddam Hussein was Arab nationalist. All these guys were Arab nationalists. Arab nationalists don't mind killing a lot of people. They don't mind being tyrannical here and there a little bit. They don't mind killing people because they're members of the Muslim Brotherhood. They don't mind closing down the Congress or the Parliament members of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, the thing also is the, the other choice is you have Islamic fundamentalism, 
which is they don't mind killing a lot of people, but those people that they're killing, they're killing because they're not Muslim. They're killing because they refuse to convert to Islam. They're they're killing because they're refusing to adopt Sharia. The biggest example of that is North Sudan. That is the biggest number one example of how a fully Sharia law country looks like because North Sudan is under the control of Omar al-Bashir. Omar al-Bashir is a member of the National Congress Party. The National Congress Party is the Sudanese affiliate of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. And right now, from in, in 2005... Bashir's Muslim Brotherhood government was responsible for the deaths of 1.5 million people. Sorry, 2.5 million people. Now the death the death count has risen up to over 3 million people. Over 3 million people dead. That's a Holocaust of our own time that no one's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Holocaust is toward people of different faiths. Majority of them Christian. Some of them are native animists of Africa. Nevertheless, these people are all victims of of the idea that Islam must be believed, Islam must be accepted, Sharia must be accepted, you see. Um, and uh, Omar al-Bashir is Islamic fundamentalist. That's what happens when you have Islamic fundamentalists. Now, if you go to a country like uh, like Iraq, people think, well, you know, those people were living under the tyranny of Saddam Hussein. They saw how America liberated them. Those people should become maybe one day westernized. And I've read articles that say, that may you know there's still hope for the younger generation that the older generation there's no hope, but the younger generation they will vote for someone democratically who is a peaceful leader um and that's just not true. it's just not going to happen one because you're talking about Iraq, you're talking about a country that's been living under tyrants since the very beginning, and two because as long as the people are majority islam Islamic, they were going to vote for somebody who's Islamic fundamentalist. In fact, the reason why you had uh, Shiite leaders or you know major Shiite leaders for, who were for the war in Iraq, they say, "Oh, you see, these Muslims are for the war in Iraq. They're against Islamism." They don't understand that Saddam Hussein hated the Islamists. He was killing the Islamists because they were a threat to him, because they were a nuisance to him. Now he's mm-hmm. gone. Now all you have is a bunch of gangs everywhere that are that are Islamic fundamentalists. They're trying to gain, gain power. That's why you have, for example, the uh, uh, the Sadr army or the Sadr city. You have the Al Mahdi army, which is ran by Al Sadr from the Saudi from the Sadr army. So, you know, this is an Islamic fundamentalist group that would have been massacred under Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein would have never tolerated it, but it's there. Why? Because all of these fundamentalists feel empowered now that Saddam Hussein is gone and the nice American people are ruling over them. They now have an upper hand. So right when the Americans leave. Who do you think those people are going to vote for? You think they're going to vote for uh, an Arab nationalist? No, they've been living under Arab nationalism for, with Saddam Hussein. They're sick of that. They're going to vote for an Islamic fundamentalist group. Wow. So history begins again. So in a nutshell, is Absolutely. anything we can do uh, or nothing really can be done It's going to have to work itself out in time? Is there anything that America can do to kind of ease things, or because we we dealing with several administrations over time, and yeah. each administration is going to do uh, what they I'm not going to say whether what they feel like doing or what they feel they call to do, but however they inherit what happens with a prior administration, maybe one administration really 
you know, don't have any ties to it. They're coming in. They don't know all the facts. They only know what the State Department at that time released to them. They yeah. don't know until they in, into office with all the details, but now they have a mess on their hands. So let's take the person that they don't like. Well, that person is no longer in office. Then the person that comes in is inheriting that, and uh, and then inheriting that. You know, go on and on and on. Then you're just dealing with all this baggage. Is there any resolution that you see America can do to yeah. kind of combat the problem? Good or question. to give it, yeah. Yeah, well, well, I would say the best thing American do, and I'm 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 I'm, a, I'm the worst person you can ask military advice. I've never been in the military, but the the answer I will give you is this: the best the the Muslim world works like a gang, a, a, a pack of wolves. How do you scare off a pack of wolves? You take out the pack leader. So the way you get rid of the Islamic fundamentalist problem, the way you get rid of all of these terrorists, the way you ease the problem, that is, is you have to take out the main leaders within the movement. You have to take out the main leaders. So you find all you, you, you get the main leaders of the members of the Muslim Brotherhood. You take those guys out. Members of Hezbollah, you take them out. Members of Al Qaeda, you take you take out all the leaders of each one of these groups, especially the Muslim Brotherhood because it's the mother of all these groups. It's the group that all these other ones came from. So you take all these out, what that will do is it will scare off the other wolves. That's the easiest answer I could give you. I mean, it's, it sounds, you know, like overly simplified, and, it, and it, it probably is, and it sounds kind of brutal, but that's the best answer I can give you. It's really, the, if, as far as a secular solution, it's the only it's the only one that would probably work. So there's no handshaking, uh, brotherly no. hug, I'm sorry. Can we move forward? No. You're saying that's not going to ever happen. It's not going to happen because of the way they think. They don't think like you and me. They think like, uh, like, like, they think like, like, like uh, Shalmaneser and Nebuchadnezzar. If you came up to Nebuchadnezzar and shook his hand and said, "I'm going to have peace with you," do you honestly think he's going to accept that? He's going to use it to his advantage. That's how the Near, the near East works. They use weakness to their advantage. That's how it's, that's, that's how it's always been. Um, it's the same thing with, for example, uh, Somalia. Americans thought that. By going into Somalia with a small group of soldiers, the people would appreciate their help. In fact, the whole village turned on them. So they they actually they 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 thrive on people people being nice to them. They perceive that as weakness, and they use that, and they think you're stupid. They think they can take advantage of you. So they they only understand the language of force and strength. It's the same thing with Gaddafi. Gaddafi was running his mouth. Ronald Reagan bombed Libya. Gaddafi was easily controlled. Um. And it can be really said for, uh, no differently for a country like um, Iran, like a, con- a country like um, uh, North uh, North Sudan, c- nations like these. Um, and that's why actually you need a country of uh, – that, that's why I've always argued for the support of Israel. Because Israel is one nation that you can be Western and civil with without having to worry about them stabbing you in the back. And they um, are actually keeping the other nations in check. The other countries are scared of Israel. That's the reason why they want to get rid of the United States, is because they know that right when you get a, get rid of America, you get rid of the mother grizzly watching over the cub of Israel. So you take out the United States. Now Israel has no other helper. No other country is going to come and help them. No other country as powerful as America, that is, is going to come and help them. In fact, 
Um, if you look at some of the, Muslim, the the countries beside Israel, which are powerful militarily, you look at countries like Turkey. Turkey is number two in NATO. Turkey has the ability to defeat both the English armies and the, and the Italian armies and the French armies together. They're a very powerful army. Air Force and mm-hmm. Navy, no, but army very powerful, superior to uh, probably to any European country. So with a country like Turkey in the Middle East, it would be difficult for Europe to fight against the uh, the Muslim world, especially uh, in an age where these nations are becoming more and more Islamist every day. Wow! So there are they are evangelizing, uh, to say the least. So mm-hmm. we have to see how this is going to play out in another generation or two. But there uh, are. Uh, go ahead. No, it's fine. Go on. Uh, I had to come up with a topic. <laughs> So what? You know, you I really apologize for that. I really no, do. I, no, I, I really... actually enjoy the conversation, and I'm just going to rename the show, and then uh, have the other one later. So, what do we call this as a topic? I would call it Islam 101. Okay, I would call it that. Thank you again, Theodore. I really appreciate the Thank conversation. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank good, you. Good talking to you, sir. God bless. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Again, this has been another production of the Core Vision Show with Tim Jacquet. Uh You listen to Islam 101. So you can download this episode on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, thank you for listening and have a great day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For more information about equipment financing and asset-based loans, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. Or call us at 866 866- 611-7457. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to the core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. And thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.